Everything rides on hope now. And this morning we're going to be discussing what does that look like for us? What does hope look like? Um, and so it's good to have everyone here this morning. Thank you for your prayers and support. Uh, my mother-in-law is doing much better. And uh, we are very grateful for a loving church that supports us and prays for us. And so thank you very much. She wanted me to let you know how appreciative she is for all of the prayer and support that she's received um, there at the hospital. Well, we are continuing our series, The Greatest Gift. We started it last week. We've been looking at the Advent wreath adventure, awaiting something great to happen, something exciting. And this morning, as you got up and you saw the snow, I don't know if you were excited about that or not. Some people are, some people aren't. That's all right. Uh, this morning, we're talking about something we can all be excited about, something we can all uh, be encouraged by. And we started out with the victory um, that the Advent wreath is in the form of uh, a victory that uh, in, the early, in the early first century that they would give a, a wreath of laurels that they place on the winner's heads or the kings as they return. And this idea that there is victory in Christ, it's evergreen, everlasting life, that there's all of the symmetry, uh, all of these um, things revealed through the wreath. And this morning we're going to go to uh, the candle of hope and we're going to discuss the idea of hope. And so one of the things a lot of people ask me um, that has nothing to do with church is what is my favorite sports team? And so, uh, because I talk about sports, I guess, a lot, uh, but what is my favorite sports team? And one of the things I've learned throughout life is um, not to put my hope in a sports team. And maybe you've learned that as well. Um, I know growing up, there are teams that I remember that I would watch and I would get emotionally connected to and I would get just in tune with that game. And, and whether that team won or lost would make or break the rest of my night and maybe even the next day. And there was such an emotional connection to these teams. And what I, I hope I've matured in my life is understanding i got to stop putting so much hope into these teams because the one thing I learned too is that you're let down a lot more than you're excited, right? You're let down more than you see victory, unless you're like an Alabama fan or a Patriots fan, then you seem to always win. <laughs> but in life, isn't that kind of how it is? I think about Christmas growing up and you hope for this certain toy, or you hope for this certain gift, and all you can think about is that and that and that, and then you finally open it, and then, you know, by the end of Christmas Day, you're already sick of it, right? Because there's a limitation to hope when it comes to the things of this world. There's a limitation to what can truly satisfy us, what can truly satisfy our souls. And so this morning, what I want to do is to dive into God's word and to see what does he teach us about this idea of hope. You know, what are we placing our hope in? This morning, as you came here this morning, where is your hope? What is your hope in? We live in a world that offers a lot of different avenues for hope. I mean, we're offered money and power and success and relationships and that these will bring us to a place of hope and satisfaction. And so the question I want to kind of work out this morning and talk about and think about and ask God to speak to us, because I hope you came here expecting to hear from God that you could grow and, and mature um, or maybe even begin that walk with him this morning, that, that you would have another step in his direction and that, that the idea of hope would clarify itself even more to you today. And so before we dive into his word, let's precede it with prayer and ask him to speak to all of us here this morning. <laughs> Father, you are so good. You are a good God. And Lord, we are 
But we are in the midst of this beautiful snow that you have created. And, and Lord, you're the author and creator of life and, and of all of us. And we've come here this morning and, and we desire to know you more. We desire to walk uh, with you. We desire to, to hear from you. And Lord, we're going to look into the words that you established, um, that you <coughs> promoted the authorship of. So that we can have understanding today, Lord, that we can have uh, a clarity to life, that we can live our lives the way they were created and intended to be lived um, in relationship to you and with you. And Lord, I, I just feel just overwhelmed, God, because you are so great. You're so beyond us. You are uh, worthy of everything that we have. And so, Lord, as we come to this place, I pray that there wouldn't be a distraction, whether the snow, whether lunch, whether what are we going to do today or how are the roads going to be, whatever those distractions may be. Lord, help our hearts and our minds and our souls to be in tune with your spirit, that you would speak directly to us, that we would understand it, that we could live it and know it and be it. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've given us a place, a reference, a point, a book for us to study this morning so that we can know you better. Help us to learn and to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to a unique book in the Bible. It's towards the front end. We call it the Old Testament, Lamentations. Lamentations. We're going to be looking at verse 3. Just to give you a quick backdrop because, you know, I, I, the more I've been able to study the Bible, the more exciting it is to me. And if you haven't had the opportunity to study the Bible, I would encourage you. There are so many ways through the Internet and through courses given throughout uh, our church, throughout churches. There's just so many ways to learn the Bible in our modern era. But the, the story of Lamentations is uh, the story of, of a loss. The Hebrew people had been uh, delivered from Egypt. They had, they had been brought to the promised land. They had established a, a, a capital city in Jerusalem. And they had power. And, and they had King David. And David had slown, slown the giant Goliath. And, and they had all of this going for them. And things were going so well for the nation of Israel. And, and they saw that this promise that God made to Abraham was really happening. And they began to be, feel the momentum of things moving. And things were good. And, and David's son Solomon took the reins and, and um, Solomon was, was very wise and he was able to build and he builds these amazing structures. He builds the temple to God and he's doing all these great things and all of a sudden um, Israel has a name in the world and people know who they are. But unfortunately, throughout this rise, the power, this rise to, to positioning in the world, um, they lost their focus and Solomon began to allow other gods into uh, even the temple. And uh, he began to marry other uh, women from other nations that allowed their gods to become in and worship. And there was this undercurrent of false worship going on within Israel. And through this, um, for Solomon to build, he had to raise the taxes. And, and through this, um, the, because the taxes were high, now the people were, were, were put into slavery to pay off their debt. And so you had all these problems arising. And finally, you have the split of the northern and the southern kingdom. And then we get to where we're seeing here, 587 B.C., where they're in exile again. The Babylonians have come over and they have taken over. And this book is, is a lamentation or a lament about what used to be, how great things had gotten to be, who we used to be, and where we are now. We
We are in exile. We have lost everything. This is considered one of the darkest times in the history of the Hebrew people. They find themselves just lost. No hope. Everything that they had has been taken from them. And they live in despair. And this book is kind of, uh, the author is, is trying to um, kind of digest how do you live in that? How do you live in that dark place? How do you deal with the fact that you have lost the blessing that God had given and now you find yourselves exiled, slaves in another nation? The way I, the, 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 kind of as I was thinking this through, a good way to help you understand for, and for me to understand is, is as if you think of World War II, what if Germany would have won? What if the Germans would have come to the United States and, and Hitler would have taken power over our nation? What would that have been like for us? What would it be like to live under that? To know what we had as a country, to know who we were as a country, and then to realize what we had become in defeat. And this is where, this is, this is just to give you an idea, this is the world that this author is writing from. And that's why it makes it so powerful for us this morning. So let's dive in. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. It says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. That here, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of pain, this author is saying, God's loving kindness, his kindness that is generous and his kindness that is there with us, even in the midst of this, the author doesn't lose sight that God is still good. And this morning, the first you know, place that I think we can relate to and connect to is this season of Christmas, this season of New Year's, this season where, where there's a lot of happiness, but there's also a lot of sadness. And in the midst of those ups and downs, in the midst of challenges in life, what is our perspective towards our Creator? This morning, if you were really honest with yourself, if you're really honest with yourself, how do you feel about God? Could you make the statement that his loving kindness indeed never ceases? He goes on to say, for his compassions never fail, plural compassions, that even in the midst of this, I see God's compassion. Do you sense God's compassion in your life? Do you think of God as a compassionate God? Do you sense that as you go through life that his hands are there, he truly loves you? I think one of the tough things for me is growing up in the church and growing up with this message is seeing a very, uh, very angry God, right? Maybe that's the image you have of God this morning, a God that's just mad because you mess up, right? And that's the thoughts that maybe permeate your mind when you think of God is an angry God who just wants to deal with your messes. But here we're given this idea of a compassionate God who has compassion, who goes through the emotions. It's amazing as you read the Old Testament, God has emotion. He has sadness. Yes, he has anger. 
but he's, he, he's revealing to us his nature of love and his desire for us to know him and to be in this relationship. And so it says, for his compassions never fail. And that is such a powerful thing to say because they're in the midst of a place they could easily say, how, how have you not failed? We're in exile. And yet even in the midst of that, the author states, his compassions never fail. Do you feel that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? As you celebrate Christmas and what all of that entails, the birth of a king, the hope of the world, do you sense that God is compassionate towards you? He says they are new every morning. They are new every morning. When you get up in the morning, when you begin each day, how do you begin the day? Do you consider a day a gift? Do you begin the day looking at it and saying, what a wonderful gift God has given me? Or do you get up and say, not another one of these, right? Monday morning, oh great, it's Monday. How am I gonna survive it? And yet here in the midst of this horrible situation, probably the worst for the Hebrews of their whole existence up to this place, this author gets up and says, every day is renewed by God. And there are new mercies every day. Do you sense that in your life? <clears throat> what would it look like in your life if each day you woke up and said, this is going to be a great day no matter what. God is good. Whatever he guides me into, whatever paths I have to take, he's a good God and his mercies are brand new today. They have been refreshed and renewed. Great is your faithfulness. That's a great song we sing, right? Great is your faithfulness. You know, one of the things I've reflected on over the last couple weeks is just um, this idea that God is just so amazingly faithful and I am so unfaithful. That there's this relationship between me and this God that every time I turn around, every time I call on his name, he hears me and he is faithful and he is compassionate and he desires to be with me when I am just this created thing. Right? That he's faithful. Even when I lack faith in him, when I return, he's faithful to receive me. He is faithful. Have you ever thought about God's faithfulness? <clears throat> that the reason we are here at this moment is because he is a faithful God. He is a faithful God. The Lord is my portion. Basically, the author is saying, I build my life on this. He is what makes my life. He is the portion. He is what I live into. We talk about building our lives on the rock of Christ, that he is my portion. He is what I need. He is what brings me hope. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. And he defines where we're talking about. Because this morning, um, if we look at it and say their situation wasn't very good, they lost their wealth, they lost their homes, they lost everything. They lost family members. They lost so much. And yet he says that things are good because he lives within the reality that this is temporary. Uh, right now, what you do is pinch yourself. Go ahead. Let's participate together. Pinch yourself. This is temporary. This thing you're pinching is temporary, right? This is temporary. 
And what he's talking about is his hope is built in something beyond this. His hope is built in something beyond the temporary. And it's within his soul. I remember I was reading a story about a rabbi that, that, that lived through the Holocaust. And what he would do on the Sabbath is he would walk through the concentration camps. And he would walk through and he would say, listen, they can take, they can take food and, and they can take our, all this from us, but they can never get to our soul. They can never get to your soul. Yes, they can affect your life. Yes, they can affect your environment. Yes, they can make this extremely hard for you. But they cannot get to your soul. And this is Sabbath. Do not forget the Lord on Sabbath in your soul. They may not let us meet. They may not let us talk. They may not let us say His name or praise His name or live into that. But they cannot stop your soul. And the hope is in the soul. It's not about the environment. It's not about the physical. It's about this eternal nature and hope that God offers us through Christ. And so that is all, all of that was set up for this one statement, right? Therefore, I have hope in him. Therefore, because of, I have hope this morning in him. He's a compassionate, loving God that has a plan for my redemption, for my salvation. And because of all that, now I have hope. I have hope. Hope not in myself, hope not in my abilities, hope that this world is going to solve my problems. Not any of those are where my hope lies. It is in the hope of an eternal God that has set my spirit free, set my soul free from its sin bondage. In the Old Testament, hope is, there's two words, and the words will be up on the screen, two words that are uh, in the Hebrew. Yakal, which is to wait. It's a hope that waits. It's the same hope that was used in Genesis when, when Noah is waiting for the floodwaters to go down. He yakals it. He's waiting, hopefully, that the waters will go down because if the waters don't go down, they're in big trouble. They're going to have to eat all those animals. Um, but they yakal it. They have hope that the water will recede. The second place we see it is the word kava. Kava is the same hope. It's a tension. It's a, when, when they talk about God planted the seed in the ground that it grew and it became a beautiful a vineyard. In Kava, it was a hope that it would grow. It was a hope that it would become something. Kava means tension, like in a rope. And so it's that tension that you live in. It's that hope you live in every single day. It's a tension in, in life that something good is about to happen. That God is going to do something. And here in the midst of this lament, this lamentation, this author is writing, there is a tension of hope within me. There is a tension of hope that, it, that God is going to show up, that God is going to save the day, that God is going to bring us out of this. In the New Testament, <clears throat> Peter uses the word in the Hebrew, or in the Greek, ellipsis. Ellipsis means this idea of a hope renewed. That one day, through Christ, not just us, and this is the most amazing part of the birth of Christ, and the life of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, is that He didn't come just to save us. He came to redeem the universe. 
That he's establishing a new heaven and a new earth for us to be a part of with him. That there is this tension we can live in until that moment. That we're never going to be fully satisfied. That's why when I watch the football game, yes, I get excited, but I'm never truly satisfied. That's why when you get the gift, yes, it's exciting to open gifts and, and Christmas Eve is exciting. And there's these moments in life and love and hope and all these things that happen in life. But they're temporary. They're pointing to a bigger event. And that bigger event is that tension that we live in. That kavah, we live in this tension that God is going to do something much bigger than anything we've ever experienced. That this birth is about a bigger event than any of us can, can build our minds around. It's hope. And that hope has not yet happened completely. It has happened in the sense that God has redeemed us on the cross, but yet he is coming back to claim us. And so we live in this hope. We live in this hope in the midst of whatever is happening in our environment, whatever is happening in your life today, whatever is happening in your life today, stress, challenges, obstacles, you can have hope. You can have this hope in your heart, in your soul, and you will not be disappointed in this hope because it will truly satisfy will truly satisfy. But the question becomes this morning, the question that I have to ask myself, is this really where my hope is? Is my hope built on Christ? Does his birth really mean as much as I say it does to me? This is life. His death, his resurrection. This moment, we're here. The whole point of you coming here is for us to interact with a loving God, uh, uh, this God who wants us to worship him, but know him. Deep down inside of you, is he your hope? Is he truly, honestly, the hope of your life? As we consider these statements that are made a long time ago, I feel they're just as relevant to me and to us this very moment. Have you placed your hope in Him? So what's the next step? Well, first, I have to determine what is my hope in? What is my hope in this morning? As you look back, and I would encourage you to do this right now, as you look back at last week and what happened to you last week, where do you see your, your hope in Christ? Monday at work, Tuesday at home, Wednesday, Thursday. When you look back, you turn around and you look back, do you see hope? Do you see yourself living in hope in Christ? Do you see yourself building your life on that hope? Can you think of specific things that happened last week that define this truth in you? As you turn and look towards next week, 
How will you live in hope? What will your hope be tomorrow? What will your hope be the rest of this week? This is a point where we can reflect and we can commit. Maybe you look back at your whole life and say, I've always hoped in myself. I've always hoped in me, and I've never hoped in Christ. Maybe now you just need to say, I'm willing to hope in Christ. I need to place my trust and my hope in Him. Or maybe this life is happening to you, and you know that you've walked a long way away from that hope that defined you, that you committed to at some place. And you want to get back into that line. You want to get back on that path. And you want your hope to be built on it. It's a beautiful moment. And we all get to come together and make these decisions. Make these decisions. Where is my hope built? What am I hoping in? Is it Christ or is it me? As I pray and as we sing our final song, this is the time to do business with God. This is the time to think about life. This is the time to, to consider who I am, who he is, and what this Christmas is all about. The hope of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. To be honest, it's very difficult to even understand these things. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us just to take one step, just one step today. A step of trust, a step of faith, a step of hope. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that this wouldn't be convincing talk or just a time to fill space and to have a Sunday. Lord, that these would be genuine moments where we are, are in your presence and we are talking and listening and interacting in relation with you. Lord, I pray that you would continue that good work, that you would continue to grow us, strengthen us, help us to see, Lord, so that we can be those that follow you. Lord, thank you for these people that lived in a time of struggle and challenge, and yet in the midst of their struggle and challenge, they worshiped you, declaring their hope in you. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us not to determine our hope by our environment, but what this world has to offer, but that our hope is built in you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.